Welcome to Marvel Studios News. My name is Sean Gerber, and I will be joined momentarily by my co-host, Paul Herman, for episode 73 of our show. We are still on the road to Infinity War. We are nearing the end, as this week we discuss Spider-Man Homecoming. Now, before we get into that, I have a few things to do, starting with a couple of programming announcements that you'll definitely want to hear if this is normally the part of the show that you skip through. So stick around and catch these announcements first. So... This episode is going up on Monday, April, I guess that's the 16th, and we have our next episode, which is going to be episode 74, which will be our Thor Ragnarok Road to Infinity War episode. That's our last in the Road to Infinity War series because we already covered Black Panther back when that film came out. The Ragnarok show is going to come out again on Friday, April 20th, and... The reason we're going ahead and just doubling up this week, we've already doubled up a couple times as we've been doing this series because we wanted to make sure we got every film done in time for the release of Infinity War. And we just want to have Ragnarok out a little bit earlier uh, because we know once we get to like Sunday or Monday, it's going to, I know all of you are mainly going to be in Infinity War mode at that point. I know. I will be as well because people are going to see the movie for the first time at the premiere on Monday. And it's just the whole week's going to be Infinity War, Infinity War, Infinity War. So we want to make sure we give you a chance, if you want to, to hear the Thor Ragnarok episode a little bit earlier. Now, if you don't want to, you can just let the episode sit there and then, of course, just start listening to it next week. But it will be available again before this week is out. And that should be on Friday, April 20th. So. Our next show on the main podcast feed will probably be our Avengers Infinity War spoiler review. Something else may pop up between now and then, of course, that prompts us to do an episode. So there may be something. I don't want to say that after Ragnarok, it's definitely only the Avengers Infinity War spoiler review. There could be something that pops up. But because we're releasing the Thor Ragnarok episode a little early by doing it late this week, that's why you may not see an episode from us early next week. It just kind of depends how things go. But over on our Patreon, we will have our monthly Patreon-exclusive episode for April. That will go up early next week, and that is going to focus on, obviously, some of the big news stories this week, uh, if there's anything that comes up that we need to address, and there usually is. But we're also going to be kind of recapping and going back over this whole Road to Infinity War experience that we've been on, not necessarily rehashing everything you've already heard us say for the past several weeks, but just going back through that experience and this entire buildup to Avengers Infinity War, which of course is, because that's a big part of these Road to Infinity War episodes, is the buildup to the movies. And we'll talk about the buildup to Infinity War, which for us, this podcast series has been part of that experience, but obviously it's much, much more than that. Because there's a, there's been a lot of news as you know our perception of this film has evolved since we found out it was going to be a thing uh, about what three and a half years ago. So we're going to be talking about all of that and more for our April episode for that is exclusive on the Patreon. So that will be out early next week in the main podcast feed. Again, we'll have Ragnarok early instead of having to wait till next week. You'll get a second episode this week, and then you'll possibly get something else. But you'll definitely hear us again on our Infinity War spoiler review. Now, speaking of our Patreon, I do have some folks to go ahead and thank this week. So a very big thank you to Brian Warshaw, Peter Bainbridge, Dustin Small, Vintage Viewport, Kyle, and Cesar Madera. They are the latest patrons over on our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. 
And they, like the rest of our patrons, which continues to be a growing list, and we really appreciate everybody who is supporting the podcast on the Patreon. And of course, we support everybody who supports the podcast just by listening to it wherever you're finding it. But over on the Patreon is where you get exclusive content that's not available anywhere else. Like I mentioned, the monthly exclusive episode just for our patrons over there. Uh, We also do Patreon credit scenes. So we take an episode like this one where we're talking about Spider-Man Homecoming. And while we're doing this Road to Infinity War series, we're talking about what is, you know, the connective threads between this film and Infinity War. And we also break down some of the latest news um, and any other topics that come to mind, like a big topic for our Patreon credit scene for this episode are our thoughts and, and our wishes, our hopes, our desires for the Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, because we haven't heard too much about it, but we're about to because the movie's going to be starting production. So we kind of took one last opportunity to go ahead and throw out our wish list for that film before we start getting more concrete news that's going to give us some idea of how the whole thing is going to take shape. So all that's available there. And those Patreon credit scenes you can get for just a dollar a month. We also do, I also do a weekly Q&A show just for our patrons. So every week, uh, you, everyone has the opportunity to go ahead and ask whatever questions they want, whether that's usually that's MCU related, but if you want to ask anything else, it's fair game. And again, I do that every single week. Uh, we've been getting some really good questions from everybody over on the Patreon, and I'm really thankful for that. And it's, I think it's prompted some interesting thoughts, and uh, hopefully everybody's been enjoying the answers that I've been providing. But of course, again, you can check all that out over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. But that's not the only place you can find out what we have to say about the MCU, you can do that at marvelstudiosnews.com, where every single day I am writing articles about the MCU. You can also check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash marvelstudiosnews. It's also Marvel Studios News over on Instagram. And you can also find us on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. So those are all the updates. Hopefully uh, this intro wasn't too long for you. Thank you for bearing with me, but I just wanted to make sure you were all up to date on what's going on in the podcast so you know what to expect from us over the course of the next uh, couple weeks. But then once Infinity War comes out and we get to we get through our spoiler review, everything will get back into the normal uh, once a week routine with, of course, special podcasts always pending depending on what news we do or don't get on a given week. So anyway, thanks for bearing with me. Let's get on with the show. Paul, we've arrived. Not at, oh. not at the end of the road to Infinity War, but we've arrived ah. at the one that you cared about most. <laughs> we have well, I wouldn't say – I don't know if I care about this one the most, but – Not as a movie, but at least as a character. Oh, uh, yes. You we are have accurate. arrived at Spider-Man Homecoming on this road to Infinity War. Since we already covered Black Panther, this is our second to last stop on the road to Infinity War. We're almost done. Wow. Um, but we got to go back. So before we start talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, which of course we reviewed on this podcast not that long ago, uh, we want to obviously go through the buildup. And the most obvious place for the buildup to start is I believe it was February 9th, 2015, when the Spider-Man deal was announced. And we'll talk about that a little bit. We spent some time talking about that during our Civil War show as well. But before we do that, I think we should spend a little bit of time talking about the road for kind of the, the Spider-Man franchise pre MCU. So um, let's, let's briefly just turn it back to the Sam Raimi trilogy just for mm. a little bit. Um, mm. Where did the Sam Raimi trilogy leave you as, as a lifelong Spider-Man fan? 
Um, it left me. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to explain how my feelings for the Rami trilogy because they're very mixed. Mm. They're very mixed, and I don't. Um, I'm sure you put me on the spot here. I'm a little. I, here's the thing with the Rami films. I I liked the first one only because it was a fir- it was like a lifelong dream that I got to see Spider Man on the big screen. Right. Uh, Spider Man Two I thought was a, a great. It's still probably you know up there with the the best Spider Man you know maybe superhero films. I think Spider Man Two is great and outstanding. It's not the same Doctor Octopus that I love or whatever, but it's you know it's 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 not bad. It's not bad. Spider Man Three is was one of those films where I don't. I don't hate it. I think it's got a lot of problems, but it's something that I can still watch and appreciate from time to time. I haven't watched it in a long time, but the Rami trilogy was, it was a great introduction. I think to Spider-Man on film, mm-hmm. you could say, but it wasn't, it, it left me always wanting more. And I remember, you know, when they have the rumors of Spider-Man four coming out with, with John Malkovich as the vulture and, mm-hmm. um, Oh my gosh, what's her name? The lady who played Catwoman. I, I forgot her name. It's escaping oh, me. Uh, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway yeah. yeah. And Anne Hathaway was was cast to be Black Cat. And I remember thinking, that's just weird. And it just didn't seem I remember at the time being, you know, as a hardcore Spider-Man fan when this was, you know, kind of being rumored and being tossed around and, and, and all that jazz. I never got like, really that excited for it. It was always like, huh. I was kind of surprised they were going back to it, and I, but I wasn't like anti it at the same time. But mm-hmm. I wasn't getting like jazz for it. So the Rami trilogy kind of ended on a thud. I, I will agree, it's probably the weakest of the three, even though it's got I think some great effects in it by with Sandman and Venom. But it wasn't. It obviously had a lot of problems, and mm-hmm. it was way too crowded. But the Rami trilogy is just a, is is very much a mixed bag. But I think Spider Man Two is is a classic in my opinion. Spider-Man 2 is held by many as a classic. I've never felt as great about that movie as as the rest of the world seems to. I I like it very much. There are many things that I love about the film, but there are also other things that I just never really dug. Sam Raimi's way too many close-ups on people screaming into camera, specifically women. But um, yeah, a lot of that was just goofy, and, and it was kind of like... Uh, it enjoyed itself. It, it enjoyed itself being campy with the first film, and then it just went overboard a bit in the second film. And I, I still don't totally love sympathetic Doc Ock. It's just not a choice yeah. I would have made for that character. And I definitely didn't like the idea of him being mind controlled by robot arms that was and talking to them just because they <laughs> can open up a little bit. That's that's just goofy. Um, but that's totally a Sam Raimi kind of thing. So at least it's. At least it's auteur filmmaking, but um, but I, I always had the greatest affection for the first one, and it's the same thing as you. Like the Spider-Man getting a legit movie was a milestone. You know, that was a milestone because that mm-hmm. was the, one of the films I always wanted as a kid, and just it was never going to happen throughout the '80s, and then of course the '90s. So Spider-Man happening was. Uh, kind of a moment for me, like X-Men, but in, e- in an even bigger way of, oh, wow, this is really going to be a thing now um, of mm. these superhero movies. And there weren't going to be as many, uh, certainly not be nearly as many limits on them as there had been before. And plus, I just, I've always loved Spider-Man's origin. I think he has the best origin story of any superhero, including Batman. <laughs> I think Spider-Man's got the best. 
And so I'm kind of a sucker for it anyway. And then they did a really good job with it, even uh, despite the Power Ranger helmet for Green Goblin. Like, I love yes. everything else in the movie so much that I can forgive the terrible Green Goblin design. Uh, but yeah, the Raimi trilogy, it ultimately, even though I think you and I may have differ in terms of how much we like each specific film, the overall sense was very similar to yours in that they were really good, but I was never completely satisfied. I thought I was after the first one, but that's just because, hey, we got a we got a good Spider-Man movie, and I never thought, mm-hmm. that I, you know, and I was just desperate to have one. But then mm-hmm. as superhero movies became more of a thing, and I didn't just have to be desperate and take anything, and the more I thought about it, I was like, well, it didn't quite cover everything. So then when we moved on to the Mark Webb slash Andrew Garfield era, the, the first Amazing Spider-Man I actually liked. I didn't think it was perfect, but... There were a lot of things I liked about it. I liked Spider-Man more because I liked Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. With He had a lot more attitude and, and just kind of reflected more of what I thought about Spider-Man from the comics. But um, I didn't totally love his Peter Parker, but I was okay with him in the first movie. But man, <laughs> The Amazing Spider-Man 2 completely lost me. That one, I hate that movie. I hate it. <laughs> and... I, it has some of the coolest Spider-Man action and visual mm-hmm. effects ever. Yep. It really does. But it's just not enough to overcome the wannabe Jim Carrey Riddler of Jamie Foxx's Electro, the super weird Hans Zimmer score. There were just a lot of things about it that I was... Ugh, I, I just, you know, I just couldn't get into. <laughs> couldn't do it. And... <laughs> And that, but more than that, I mean, there were just stupid things that happened in the movie, just things that flat out didn't make sense. And then they overcrowd, made the same mistake from Spider-Man Three of not only do we have Electro in this thing, let's let's cram in uh, Harry Osborn as a Green Goblin, even though wait, shouldn't Norman Osborn be be Green Goblin first? Nah, screw it, we're gonna go ahead and go straight with Harry. <laughs> like why? Because mm. Gwen Stacy has to die right away. Why? <laughs> like, and to the where like his grieving period is a montage and plus Peter's just such an ass in that film uh, and also a super weird stalker so there's just uh, so nobody learned from Superman Returns I guess but, like there's just so Oof. many things in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that were in a misstep and that really left me feeling like uh, at this point it's it's got to come over to Marvel Studios because even though they got off to an okay start with the Amazing Spider-Man, they immediately squashed it with Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, that was a movie that, you remember, we we actually reviewed favorably when it came out. And, and for me personally, I can speak to why, because like what you said, Sean, that there's so many great scenes with Spider-Man that you just, you know, it's it's hard. It's easy if you're a Spider-Man fan to love it. But the problem with the film was the second rewatch, I couldn't finish it. It was bad. And I remember just kind of thinking to myself, well, the first thing that kind of, you know, kind of stuck out to me was when I watched the first time, yeah, I liked that. I wasn't that bad. You know, I liked, you know, a lot of this stuff. And then when I I thought about rewatching it again that weekend, I was like, yeah, it's okay. And, you know, when I bought it on Blu-ray, I later was like, uh, wait a minute. This is not this is not good, and I couldn't finish it. And I have I have yet to finish it. I've attempted, in, in all the things that are that are wrong with it. You're right, and one of them is that awful, awful score. And so with Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, I like that one. Um, I had some problems with it, but 
I liked it. I saw it a number of times in the theater, and, and I thought it was a good like stepping stone for a different direction of Spider-Man. Yeah, but it was solid. Yeah, but I did have but the the problems I had with the film carried over into Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, and that was Peter Parker. I love Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. His Peter Parker was terrible. He was terrible in both films, in my opinion, and he was and he was equally bad. Like they, the, to me, they they're, they're both equally just bad. Mm-hmm. And I could not, I could not believe how they butchered Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy too. Like it just, you know, like the the you know, it just didn't really seem. It just seems weird. The whole relationship between them was weird, and I didn't like it. The lizard wasn't my favorite design, but I liked it enough to be still to still enjoy it. So, Spider when Amazing Spider Man Two came out, and I tried to watch it, I thought to myself, "What are they going to do?" Because I can't even watch this, and I'm a diehard Spider Man fan. So, I like you, Sean. Was like that. What's you know, I kept hearing, you know, it felt like Sony was doubling down to kind of prove to, to you know, Disney and Marvel mm-hmm. that they didn't they didn't need them. Like, remember right after Amazing Spider-Man 2, they're trying to, you know, do that Sinister Six movie with Drew Goddard and he left Daredevil to do it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what is going I'm like, no, stop this. Like, I remember thinking, I don't care what you showed at the end, at the end of Amazing Spider-Man 2. I don't want this movie. No one wants this movie. No, nobody. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a really frustrating period as, as a Spider-Man fan being in limbo and thinking to yourself, man, how are they going to, they're trying to make it, you know, a, a cinematic universe with, with just the Spider-Man characters. How are they going to do this? And they're still trying to do that by the way, with, well, like, with like an MCU adjacent, <laughs> they're totally yeah, trying to yeah. do that. It's just, ugh, that's weird. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sony's not always smart, uh, but they had Jumanji last year. Big hit. Good for them. So, yes. Yeah, the whole thing with, uh, but I, I remember I was saying for years, like I, I, I thought there was a good chance at some point that either Sony would be willing to sell Spider-Man to Disney in Marvel, or there would be something that would get Spider-Man in the MCU. I didn't expect it would happen as soon as it as it ultimately did. Um, but yeah, for the for the Amazing Spider-Man series, though, the stuff that I liked about Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man ended up not being as good the second time around because they overplayed it. Like it's completely absurd. The intro to that movie where the guy who become the Paul Giamatti guy who ends up becoming Rhino is like plowing through cars in a semi and like Peter's just hanging off the door, just cracking jokes. It's like, but Spider-Man does crack jokes while he's saving the day, but he doesn't stop to crack the jokes. He, he cracks the jokes as he's moving, but Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man stops moving to crack his jokes. Like that's not what Spider-Man does. And then, yeah. And then the, just the Peter Parker stuff was just so bad. So bad. It, it, the stuff I didn't like about his Peter Parker in the first film that bugged me a little bit that I ultimately forgave just got worse. What was interesting about it though, was visually how much they changed it from the first film to the second one, because the first film was very clearly inspired by, uh, Batman Begins as a darker reboot of Spider-Man. And then uh, in the same year that that first film came out, Avengers, which was bright and colorful, made a bunch of money. So then Sony was like, let's go back to bright and colorful for Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is fine because it looked good. Um, in term- like On screen, it looked good, but it just didn't have a worthwhile story to tell and a lot of just goofy, goofy stuff going on. And some stuff I- that's, that's just, just outright bad. 
Yeah, I like the original Amazing Spider-Man costume. I thought it was really cool. It was a unique take on the fact that, you know, with, with a kid can make this himself. And that was Mark Webb's whole, you know, shtick was, yeah. hey, I want this costume to look like someone actually made it, like a kid could make this costume. And I thought it worked perfectly. And, and I liked the Spider-Man 2 costume to an extent, but it just kind of felt like such a departure from what they were going with before. It was a little bit jarring for me at first. Yeah, I just kept thinking to myself, uh, didn't the last one was a little more like realistic? So, but yeah. yeah, I I mean it wasn't that realistic though cuz I mean Well, it still, was. It wasn't. It wasn't. But, but you know, yeah, I mean. but no, I, I mean Spider-Man completely changed his suit for no apparent reason other than he could and you know Sony just changed their mind and they decided to be reactive. They were being initially they were being reactive to Batman Begins and then they were being reactive to the Avengers and trying to have a Spider-Man universe Avengers with the Sinister Six. So everything was just trying to copy what Marvel was doing. Just obviously not as good. Kind of like making a copy of a copy. It just didn't work out. So with Sony, with the Spider-Man franchise kind of left in shambles after Amazing Spider-Man 2, it was a really difficult thing for Sony. So obviously we've learned a lot of these things after the fact. But, you know, I think it was that Amazing Spider-Man 2 came out in May of 2014. I think around maybe August or September of 2014 is where they really started having talks with Marvel Studios to the point where, as I mentioned in our Civil War build-up show, when we were all waiting outside to go into that El Capitan Theater for the phase, what ended up being the Phase 3 announcement in October of 2014, we didn't know what it, what was, we did not know what the event was supposed to be. I just, we just figured it was going to be movie-related, and the big rumor in line, or the two big rumors, one was Benedict Cumberbatch being introduced as Doctor Strange, the other one was, this is where Marvel's going to announce that they got the rights to Spider-Man. Obviously, it didn't happen because whatever talks had happened had broken down, but then subsequently, as we know, after the whole Sony hack thing, so thanks to Seth Rogen and James Franco for their interview movie, uh, and that being making Sony the target of the big hacking thing sony was left in an even more vulnerable position and even in a more desperate position for hits and for some good pr then all of a sudden in february of 2015 there's a deal uh you and i record a podcast right away <laughs> talking about the deal for uh for spider-man coming into the mcu so i don't want to repeat everything we said in our civil war show but just to sum that up very quickly obviously that was uh no pun intended, an amazing development and, and a historic development uh, for two things. One for the Spider-Man franchise, but then obviously the second for the MCU, because as great as the MCU had been up until that point, having Spider-Man allowed the MCU to feel complete in a way that it never quite had. And I don't know if it ever really would have without Spider-Man. I know mm. it's not still 100% whole because there's no X-Men or Fantastic Four, but that's coming <laughs> eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but just having Spider-Man there, it it did take the MCU to another level for me that Marvel's most popular hero finally got to be a part of it. Spider-Man coming to the MCU was a dream come true and just something that I always wanted to see since I was a kid. You know, Spider-Man and the, all the other Marvel superheroes together. And Civil War was the beginning of that kind of dream together, you know, finally coming and, and melding as one and just being such a surreal moment, knowing just knowing that what came before it was, it was exciting. It was great, but this is like the last, you, you'll never have this again where the excitement of him coming on to with other interacting with other superheroes 
you know, for the first time ever again. This will be the only time you get to experience that. You had the first time with the movie. You had the first movie. You had the first reboot. Now you have the first time he's ever interacted with other heroes on screen. You know, and so it was. It was again. I I just am over the moon and and continue to be over the moon. The fact that Marvel has obtained their their to me their their breadwinner to me that they're. The, the person that kept them alive for so long as a company before, you know, the MCU was born and things like that, you know, besides the X-Men, Spider-Man is there was, is, and, and still is, or was, and still is their go-to character. Mm-hmm. And I think you bring up a great point, Sean, by saying that this, the MCU would always feel a little incomplete without Spider-Man, whether Fantastic Four or X-Men are a part of it. Spider-Man is the Marvel universe and the fact that he never, you could never make a movie with him in it was a shame. And it just, it definitely felt like it would, you love the Avengers. It was great. What we got. I love what we got, but it never quite could measure up to be unreal. And now it's hit that. And now it's, it's something we're just, we're going to continue to get. And it's awesome. And I, I, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a dream come true what Sony and Disney have are able to do together, and I think it's only a matter of time before Sony actually, you know, buys or excuse me, or Disney buys Spider-Man back from Sony. Because remember, you know, for people, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that Sony only owns the movie rights to Spider-Man. They sold everything else back to Disney. So literally, this is. And I'm not sure if the toys are a part. They split the toy cost. They do sure get. That, they do get some cut of specifically movie related merchandise, but I yes. think they've they must have made some adjustments to that because of the biggest way you can tell the difference is look at Spider Man, look at Spider Man merchandise that was part of Civil War. There was no Spider Man action figure that was by itself. There was no Spider-Man pop that was by itself. There was no Spider-Man item from Civil War that you could buy individually. All the Spider-Man merch had to be paired with something else. So the pop Spider-Man for Civil War that comes with the cap shield, that uh, came with like a Hawkeye pop, um, which is the only way you could sell a Hawkeye pop. Uh, yep. Yeah, <laughs> not really. But uh, anyway, uh, no, it's true. Come but, on. Don't and, even try but then that. there was a and the Marvel Legends action figure from Hasbro. That was part of a, I think, a three pack with Cap and Iron Man from Civil War. So something, but now we see Spider Man packaged individually and having his own individual stuff for Infinity War. Although what's interesting about that is on all of that merchandise, he is called Iron Spider. So I, it, <laughs> it, it's a little interesting. There's nothing with the traditional Spider Man suit. It is all with the Iron Spider suit and that is the name that is put on the merchandise so i don't know if that's something where marvel found a marvel slash disney found a loophole like this is how we can do it or if it was actually renegotiating those terms with uh with sony because and i I like to remind people of this all the time because people always forget the deal that we're enjoying now is a new deal than the one that we enjoyed for civil war and homecoming because civil war and homecoming was a a one-time deal it was one. It was Marvel and Disney gets a film that was Civil War. Sony gets a film that was Homecoming. That was all that was the that was part of the original deal. And then it, they were just obviously open to making more deals in the future. And the current deal includes Spider Man for Infinity War slash Avengers four for Marvel. And then Sony gets a Spider Man Homecoming sequel. And currently, as far as we know, as far as what's been announced, 
the deal actually ends, uh, the current deal actually ends with Homecoming 2. Um, but anyway, yeah, like it's, it is interesting though, in terms of the, you know, the, the merchandising. So sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to clarify that. For oh, everybody. no, no. <laughs> And and that's and that to me is is what's interesting about this, and I think that Disney will will eventually get this. I mean, Sony's already been rumored to be wanting to sell its assets already, so it's only a matter of time before Disney gets full one hundred percent. Now they're potentially buying MGM for some reason. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, wow. we'll see. It's the I I believe that this whole like you know the AT and T Time Warner thing, the Disney Fox thing. I've actually talked about this stuff happening for years already. And now it's, you know, now that it's, it's here, these are just some of the first dominoes to fall. And so I do expect at some point, you know, Sony and Paramount are seen as of the other, of the remaining five major studios. Cause with Disney and Fox becoming one, uh, I think Sony and Paramount are definitely the most vulnerable. And so if Sony ends up, if Sony's movie studio ends up being sold, the rights to Spider-Man, I would imagine, are non-transferable. So they might automatically revert back to Sony anyway. So if that if Sony finds themselves in a position where they feel like they might end up being acquired, then it would be smart of them ahead of time to make their own deal with Disney for Spider-Man separately and just say, you know, before they let on with any rumors that they're gonna, you know, that they're gonna be bought, you and and have the rights automatically transfer to Disney, it'd be better to say, Hey guys, give us a bunch of cash and also a person, a cut of Spider-Man in perpetuity. And you can just have the whole thing back. And it wouldn't shock me if that happens sometime within the next couple of years. That's not a prediction. That's not a guarantee. I'm just saying for, for everybody out there, like it wouldn't shock me if that does end up happening. Yeah. So with Disney and, and Sony, you know, merging together, it, like I said, it was a, uh, something that we just mean you both were over the moon about. And, it was weird to think, because I, I, you know, I, I, putting it all together, you start realizing that, you know, Dis- Sony's not making the movie; it's Marvel Studios. Mm-hmm. And I realized that Sony basically is hiring Marvel Studios to make their movie. Correct. And so it was just an interesting kind of thought, like, oh, weird that they actually have to pay Marvel Studios, you know, and they just they run the whole gamut. Granted, you know, Amy has Amy Henning, right? Is that her name or not Amy, Amy Henning? Pascal, Amy Henning's a video game lady. Uh, yeah, so the fact that she had to get you know approval for costumes and things like that, and, and casting, they were in- Sony and Marvel Studios slash Disney. They were all in it together to get uh, to ultimately uh, decide on Tom Holland. So it was Sony obviously had input and they had final say. And Disney slash Marvel Studios did not get a cut of box office revenue on Homecoming, at least not as the way the deal was originally constructed. They could have amended it later, but originally that was nobody was supposed to get any money from the other. So Sony wouldn't get any money from Civil War. Disney slash Marvel wouldn't get any money from Homecoming. But that's different than there's a difference between getting a cut of revenue, which which Marvel and Disney did not get from Homecoming, but what you would get as the production company making the movie for a studio is you would get a basically a production fee which is essentially covering all of your costs for marvel studios visual development department kevin feige is obviously still getting his fee as a producer on the film because he was a producer on homecoming so marvel studios employees are still getting paid to make the movie for sony um, but there's just no uh you know no percentage of the or no share of the profits after the fact yeah and it makes sense and it's it's kind of weird but we get Spider-Man, and that's yeah, and that's and and again to be able to use Spider-Man in their films only, it only helps. I mean, 
think about this. Infinity War is 10 years in the making, and we have, you know, just today, we've, you know, we'll talk probably more about this in our Patreon exclusive scene, but, you know, it's breaking records, you know, pre-sales. It, it's, it's, you know, Spider-Man definitely is a part of that. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I'm, it, don't get me wrong, it's also the 10 years of building, but Spider-Man is a big, big, big part of it. I mean, and it's he's also in, a lot of Black Panther. Yes, that too. So you think about it, you have the 10 years of all these B-listers and, and C-listers being built up mm-hmm. and being huge successful in films, and you add in the, obviously, household name of Spider-Man, and now you add in the kind of the you know new kid on the block who's just destroying it with Black Panther, who's like now the new ultra, like sexy you know p- person that comes in and just blowing everyone's minds it's it's like it's it's a great it's this huge thing together and and i just it's amazing to me and, and again mm-hmm. spider-man's a big reason for that and i, I at least in my opinion totally. and so so yeah it's it's just something that it, we as fans have just been it was just again i i guess i'm kind of like just starting a bunch because it's it's just, i can't even put into words how exciting it is for me to have spider-man in this this MCU it's it's amazing it and really ti- is amazing and the timing worked out perfectly because mm-hmm. i think it was always it was always a good thing in my mind that marvel studios did not immediately have x-men and spider-man at their disposal uh when they got started because it really made it necessary for them to turn iron man and Captain America into stars, and that—that's not to say they wouldn't have done that anyway. But it had the, they had definitely had to do that immediately because they couldn't rely on Spider-Man and X-Men to get things set up. But also, just the timing ended up working out so beautifully to actually fit with how Spider-Man was introduced in the comics. Granted, it was the MCU version of it, but remember when Spider-Man, uh, when Spider-Man showed up in the comics, the biggest thing going was Fantastic Four. So you already had kind of a celebrity group of superheroes. And that was one of the first things Peter Parker tried to do when he became Spider-Man. He tried to go join the Fantastic Four because um, he wanted some money. But like he, uh, you know, like there. So but the other part of that, though, is that Spider-Man was like a fan of other heroes and, and wanted to be a part of it. And and so that was a very natural thing to happen in the MCU because he didn't get to be there from the beginning. Introducing Peter Parker as a teenager who was in single digits just a little kid when Tony Stark was on TV saying, I am Iron Man, and he basically grew up with that and is kind of a, a superhero fan in his own right as Spider-Man. It worked out perfectly, and it made it really honored that aspect of the comics, even if it wasn't necessarily always the design, but it just worked out that way, and it worked out beautifully, and so I, I loved that. And, and I thought it was also such a great time to introduce Spider-Man because as far as the MCU was concerned... That was a new kind of energy that the MCU had never had. All of these heroes in the MCU are are pretty much well into their adulthood. They're, you don't have teenage superheroes in the MCU, and now you finally have one, and that makes that, among many other things, immediately sets Peter Parker apart from everybody else in the MCU. So when he comes in, he really feels different. And... Um, we talked about, by the way, you can go back and listen to our Civil War build-up show when we talked about the casting of Tom Holland, um, but more specific to this film, uh, you know, it was incredible to see Tom Holland in Civil War. I mean, he was perfect as Peter Parker. He was perfect as Spider-Man. Everything about him was so great. So, obviously, Civil War was a huge piece of that build-up to Homecoming, but before we even saw Civil War, uh, the summer before was when we were trying to figure out, okay, well, who's going to direct this thing? And... 
once John Watts, uh, there were rumors of him being one of the directors on the shortlist, I went and I watched Cop Car, and I loved it. And I thought, oh, man, this guy's really good. And so I, he's a good storyteller. And so I was happy. I didn't know a ton about John Watts until I heard his name in connection with the Spider-Man solo film that we didn't know was Homecoming just yet. But when Marvel Studios, uh, when we found out that John Watts was the guy, I remember, again, not knowing a ton about him. But then once I did a little bit of research by watching Cop Car, I was totally on board with that choice. Cop Car was one of those films that, I, I definitely had a research before. He hadn't done a lot of films. He did that clown horror mm-hmm. movie, which I wasn't going to watch. Yeah, me and either. but yeah. I, I had, I, but I had heard about Cop Car. Kevin Bacon was in it, and the premise was interesting. It was a really unique premise about two like young kids who steal a cop car, and I had no idea what to expect. And I was blown away of how well he told the story, and he and he told the emotion, and and had a gr- it, everything was tight. It just was a great like, small film, <clears throat> and I was very intrigued how and why they cast this guy. Again, I would, I personally, and again, I don't work in the industry, so it's, it's fitting that I wouldn't catch this, but I'd have no idea how they would find this person and say, this guy's perfect for Spider-Man. Yeah. And, and I have no idea how and, and, and they make those decisions. But it ended up being a perfect decision. And I don't know if it's because he gets how to tell, like, the smaller story stuff. and It was that's- his pitch. That's what got him. Is he, he, ah. he was the guy who came in and said, I want to make the John Hughes Spider-Man movie. So, yeah, that's why you'll see that with Marvel all the time, is that they'll hire a director where you think, wait a minute, how are they connecting that to this hero? But... They don't look at the movies to say Marvel Studios, like Kevin Feige and that whole, you know, Ludi Esposito, like when they're scouting directors, they don't watch, they don't watch movies to say, can this person make something like the hero we want him to make a, a movie out of? They just look at the movies to see, is this person a good storyteller? Does this person have an interesting perspective, an interesting point of view in their storytelling? That's what they look for first, just to make sure the person can actually, can just make a good movie period, regardless of what kind of movie it is. And then like, that's what gets you in the door at Marvel studios. And then it's all about your pitch. So like when a director goes and meets with Marvel studios, the situation is Marvel will say, this is kind of what we have in mind because we're bringing you in to meet with you about this or that character. And they, it's kind of this weird thing where Marvel kind of pitches the movie to the director first and then the director slash screenwriter or whoever they're trying to hire at that point in time then has to take that, that Marvel's idea and bring back their own idea. And what Kevin Feige has said before is what they really look for is who's the guy who actually takes whatever Marvel was thinking about for that character and not only wants to do that, but actually finds a way to make that even better. Or if it's not quite what Marvel had in mind, is it still, you know, is it now a better idea than the one that Marvel had? So either plussing the same idea that Marvel had or coming back with something completely different that Marvel still thinks will fit, but is also better than their original idea. So John Watts was the guy who was, you know, in his pitch was the, obviously they knew they were going to make a high school Spider-Man, but John Watts was the guy really emphasizing the idea of having, uh, you know, a diverse cast, uh, you know, it was more representative of what it actually would look like going into high school. And then also just having that 
John Hughes feel of the awkward teen years and, and that really playing a big part within uh, homecoming. So that's what, that's what got him the job. Cop car just proved you know, cop car got him in the room. His pitch got him the job. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, but yeah, that obviously he ended up, uh, being a, a really good choice and I'm, uh, and I, and I was I got excited about that especially after watching uh, Cop Car. The other you know the other big pieces of the build up is you know just learning the title Spider Man Homecoming. I always yeah. loved that. I, nope, <laughs> it, it was a perfect title, perfect title because it had that double meaning of Homecoming obviously being a big event associated with high school, but then just the idea of this is Spider Man being home in the MCU. So everything about that title was perfect. It was one of those things where I I never really liked it. I don't love it. I know it it, oh, it works I love and it's it appro- so much. <laughs> it's a, it works. It's appropriate, but yeah. it's not. It's it, it, I'm just used to it now. But when right. it, it definitely when it first came out, I was not a fan. And I don't. I pray to God that it's not like Spider Man Homecoming two or something oh, it like won't that. Be. No, it'll be a different subtitle. Uh-huh. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And it made sense. I figured as soon as, as soon as it's going to be yeah. Spider-Man winter formal. And then the next one will be Spider-Man. Oh Prime. God. As soon as they announced <laughs> it was homecoming, you knew exactly where it was. It was going and it's fine because mm-hmm. it's a high school movie. I understand they're going yeah. that route, which I was excited about. I want to make that very clear. I was really excited about getting an actual high school Spider-Man, not I'm 18 looking like I'm 35 and about to, you know, enter man, you know, my mid forties and I'm, you know, going to become Spider-Man and be an adult right away. No, no, no. He's a total kid. Yep. And I was really excited about that. And the title F and I, I will say, I, I remember, I don't remember if I said it outright, but I do remember thinking that, that at least that title reinforces the high school aesthetic mm-hmm. even more. Definitely. And then another big, big piece of the buildup was it almost went away. In fact, it did go away very briefly was I think around June of 2016, you know, they had just got going on production um, in Spider-Man Homecoming, or maybe this was slightly before I might have the dates a little wrong there. But then all of a sudden there were the reports that Michael Keaton was being eyed to play the villain in spider-man homecoming and i was just thinking oh shit that's amazing <laughs> that michael keaton freaking batman of uh, from the, you know, the first superhero movie i got to watch in a theater being the 1989 batman film um like that guy is it's going to come full circle now to him being a villain in the m the first mcu spider-man film i was so thrilled and then i was so bummed when there were reports a little bit later that he had dropped out of contention for the role, that it just wasn't going to work out for whatever reason. And I remember being super bummed and I was just like, man, I really wish I did not know that Michael Keaton was up for the villain role in this movie. Cause no matter who they get, it's not going to be as good. And I'm always going to think, I'm always going to be thinking, well, what if they had actually gotten Michael Keaton for this? And then fortunately, not long after that, then it came out that he was going to be part of, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, and he indeed was going to be the villain. So whatever it was, whether it was scheduling or anything else, they worked it out, and I was thrilled to hear that Michael Keaton was going to be part of this cast. I remember when this all the negotiations were going on or the talks or and the rumors were going on, I remember thinking to myself, why, if he if he backed out, I, I really thought it was a ploy. I really thought he knew 
I, to me, it just seemed like a total ploy at the time. And I remember thinking that I wouldn't be surprised if he totally comes back and is, you know, the, he comes back and he's announced as the vulture or whatever. And I, like you, I was very excited when they finally announced it. And it was one of those things where it, it bridges your childhood and your adulthood together. And it's really funny, you know, the Batman, like you, Sean, I saw Batman in the theater. It was my first superhero movie in the theater. If I, I might have saw one of the Superman movies in the theater, like my mom, I don't know. I remember seeing an a Superman movie somewhere in the theater, but the one I remember the most and could not wait and excited for my brother and I just losing our minds thinking about it was in fact, you know, Batman, Michael Keaton. I have always loved Michael Keaton. So when you also have the fact that he won or he, his portrayal as Birdman in the in the movie won Best Picture a number of years ago was amazing. So I love that movie to death. And you put it with this, it's it's funny with Batman, Birdman, Vulture. But yeah, he's just such an amazing actor. And you knew what he was he was gonna bring something that a lot of people couldn't do. Because he knows how to, you know, beat he's Beetlejuice for God's sakes. And mm-hmm. he's Batman. And you know, I mean he can be eccentric characters and you believe him. And I could not wait to see what he did with, with the Vulture because, as I've never been shy to say, the Vulture is one of the worst villains Spider-Man's ever had. He's horrible. Yeah. And the fact, <laughs> in fact, he's playing Adrian Toomes, I'm like, well, at least I'm going to like the guy playing the Vulture. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because Michael Keaton's amazing. So I was more excited the fact that Keaton was just playing anybody, much less the you know, villain. But I, didn't, I cared more about the Michael Keaton than the actual villain, which is not very... It doesn't happen very often, if ever, that 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 happens. So I was very, very excited. Yeah, it certainly convinced me that Vulture was going to get an upgrade from the comic books. I liked Vulture more than you did based on the comics. He's never been one of my favorite Spider-Man villains, but I don't actively dislike him as a Spider-Man villain. But surely the involvement of Michael Keaton meant that this was going to be a really cool character. Another casting we already knew about. I mean, we already knew that Marissa, but we didn't talk about during the Civil War buildup. I really like the choice of Marissa Tomei as Aunt May because uh, Marissa Tomei is a fantastic actress. But I also liked the decision to make Aunt, make Aunt May younger in the MCU mm-hmm. because the truth is she actually looked more along the age of everybody's moms and aunts when I was in high school. Like I didn't have a lot of friends who had like an aunt who was, you know, basically looked as old as their grandma. Uh, so like it, you know, so that, that was, you know, I, I actually in, uh, appreciated that casting. And then I remember the whole thing of Zendaya joining and, and she was cast as this person named Michelle and everybody thinking she's going to be Mary Jane. And, and I know that she ends up being MJ at the end of the film, but <sighs> she's just, you know, not Mary Jane. But anyway, I, I didn't care about any of that. I just, I, I didn't know enough about Zendaya one way or another, but I, you know, I, she ended up being very good in the film. I ended up enjoying her a lot in the film. Uh, but anyway, I was fine with that casting. Uh, the next big piece of the buildup for me was at Comic-Con in 2016. They had the cast of Spider-Man Homecoming there, and John Watts was there. And they played the very first footage of it. And it was not, it was not heavy on Spider-Man stuff. Uh, I think there were a couple quick flashes of that and one flash of Vulture at the end that was really cool, but it was mainly focusing on the high school comedy aspect of it and that John Hughes vibe. And I got it right away watching that footage at Comic-Con and it really made an impact on me because I felt like the movie was already delivering on its potential to be 
the first true high school movie for Spider-Man. Because for the very first time, just by watching a few minutes of that footage, I finally felt like, for the first time ever, that Peter Parker was in high school. And that he was surrounded by kids that reminded me of the kids I was surrounded by when I was in high school. Like, it actually felt like high school in a way that, you know, because quite frankly, Sam Raimi's high school doesn't translate to my high school experience. It feels like TV show high school. And same thing with Andrew Garfield's high school. Like, it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like that's where they're at. Now, it wasn't such a huge priority to me in those films, and so I was I was more forgiving of it. But that's why when some people say, you know, oh, well, other Spider-Man films have had him in high school before. Why is it such a big deal? Well, because they did, sort of, but not really. It didn't feel that way, and it finally felt that way with Homecoming. But I think for, for you and for a lot of other people, like the first kind of taste of that was the that teaser trailer that came out, I think, later on in, I think, December of that year of, of 2016. I'm trying to remember what happened in that teaser trailer. <laughs> I can't it, like. It starts out with the ATM robbery of you know you guys. Are that's real, right. You guys yeah, are yeah. Real Avengers Hulk gives it away. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, I, I loved every teaser I saw and trailer that I saw. I re- I remember just getting really jazzed for it because one of the things I loved about the MCU Spider Man is that it felt like old old school Spider Man. The look of the character, mm-hmm. like even though they did a little like. Let's like redesign the costume, like given the shoulders and like some of the, you know, area, other areas like different, like they took away the red webbing and put a blue patch there. It's like so minuscule. It's not even stupid. It's like ridiculous, you know, but whatever. But besides that, it looks exactly like a Spider-Man costume would or, or the old school Spider-Man costume with the webbing being a, a less webbing, I guess if that makes any sense. I always mm-hmm. think of John Romita Jr. Or John, excuse me, John Romita Sr., uh, his Spider-Man. That's what it looked like to me. It was John Romita. And I love that. It just felt like it was less was more. And it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just remember loving that costume. Every time I saw it on screen, with whether it be Civil, Civil War or the trailers, I just l- fell in love with that costume more and more and more. And so the trailers – and, and here's the here's the big thing too. I was – I didn't know what to expect with the Vulture. Mm-hmm. When they gave when, – when that when the San Diego announcement happened or the they showed like a, the concept art, I didn't know if that was like, wait, is that concept art or is that the real Vulture? And then we finally get to see the Vulture in the teasers. I was just like, that is 1,000 times better than any version of the Vulture that's ever existed, period. And I was getting very excited to see this new Vulture in action. So it was the trailers did a great job of getting me excited and making me feel like, man, like as a Spider-Man fan who loves Spider-Man and loves all these characters, they're giving me like – getting me really excited after five films. And that's something that has to go. You can't not take those five films with you when you see this movie. Mm. It's impossible. And that's one of the things that it had going against it. But because you've seen all these different things and you see the vulture and you're like, man, this is like such an intriguing character. Like they redesigned him and he looks way better than anything the comics could ever do with them. Mm. So it was it was interesting. You know, it's hard to get excited about a, a character you've you love so much, but you've seen on screen a bunch, and it hasn't been, you know, peaches and cream completely. <laughs> but, but this was definitely 
it was definitely giving us a, a good direction and, and showing us that there he's in good hands. Yeah, and another big part of that was because I mean, we didn't talk about when it was originally announced, but that's because we all assumed it was going to happen anyway. But Downey being in this movie as Tony Stark slash Iron Man, and and the trailer was kind of the first glimpse of how how that relationship would work within the film, besides their interaction, of course, in Civil War. And I remember this one; you started seeing like some pushback by some fans of just thought, oh, so this is totally like Iron Man's movie with Spider Man. I never felt that way in the marketing for this, and I never felt that way uh, in watching the the final film. I I thought it was always important to have that in this movie because, as I mentioned before, Spider-Man looking up to and having even being a little starstruck by and and looking out for mentorship within other superheroes, that's part of Spider-Man. And that's something that the Sony franchise when it was all by itself could never do. And so we had already had five Spider-Man films that were just Spider-Man. So now that this is a movie that places Spider-Man in the MCU, I want to see him interacting with another superhero and he should be interacting with the most famous superhero in the MCU up until this point, which was Iron Man. And so that always made a lot of sense to me. And I liked their interactions in the trailer. I liked Tony being a mentor slash father figure for Peter Parker. And I think that ultimately paid off uh, very, very well in the film. And so, yeah, that first teaser I really enjoyed. And then I enjoyed the next trailer for it. Everything about Spider-Man Homecoming just continued to look really, really good. And I was, and I also really liked the idea behind it as we started hearing and learning more about the film with Vulture looking so cool, but also that the movie was going to be that Vulture was going to be using, uh, you know, alien tech from previous Marvel movies. And that was part of going to be part of what he was up to and his whole scheming in Spider-Man Homecoming. The only bad moment for me in the Spider-Man Homecoming buildup was I was incorrectly spoiled, but spoiled enough nonetheless about the Adrian Toomes is Liz's dad uh, twist in Spider-Man Homecoming because it's just a, you could call it a job hazard, but when you report on Marvel stuff every day on a website and you do podcasts and all this other stuff in, in superhero shows about Marvel, it's kind of hard to just go on media blackout and ignore things. And so every once in a while, I unfortunately stumble upon something I didn't want to see. And somebody had misinterpreted and put out the idea that I guess they had read the junior novelization or something like that. And they had said that Adrian Toomes was Michelle Zendaya's character was Michelle's dad. And so when I went, when I went to watch homecoming, I thought it was going to be that, that it was going to be Michelle's dad. And then, so, but just because I had the idea that he was somebody's dad, the more the movie went on, I was like, I think he's going to be Liz's dad. Cause that actually seems like it makes more sense based on how this movie is going. And then of course, so when, when Peter was shows up for the dance and he knocks on the door, I totally knew Michael Keaton was going to answer that door. Uh, so it, it was still, even though I kind of had saw it coming, it didn't matter though. Cause that scene is played so beautifully, both the scene in the house and then in the car that it, it didn't matter. But yeah, that was the only bummer for me in the buildup to Spider-Man homecoming was just having uh, having a really cool twist spoiled, but it didn't, it ultimately didn't spoil it that much because, as I said, the scene was so so fantastic. I um, was lucky to avoid all of that. 
good for you, man. Yeah, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy that that wasn't uh, ruined for you. But let's get into first viewings. We're way behind. We're 50 minutes into this show, and we haven't talked about <laughs> seeing it yet. So obviously, we're going into overtime tonight. Don't worry, we're not gonna like not talk about the movie and just leave you with buildup. Uh, but let's talk. Let, let's talk about that. Where did you first see the film? I saw the film with uh, friends of ours, uh, John Birley and Justin Bulger. Uh, we we were visiting, we were all hanging out in San Francisco and I, I got to see it on, on Lucasfilm. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so it was, it was surreal because, um, just seeing a movie like in a place, it just was weird in a good way. It was, <laughs> it was really cool. And I remember that I was, I was jazzed for it. I remember being really tired cause we were doing a bunch of stuff and I was just like, ugh, super out of it. And, I just, I just could not wait. It was one of those things where, I, I the movie, I, the, this, this last summer, I had a lot going on emotionally, uh, a lot of stuff going on with my family, and, it, and it's better now. But it was kind of rough there for a while. And to be honest, it was hard for me to get excited for this movie leading up to, leading up to it. Up until probably the last the, a couple weeks before, I started getting really excited. And so when I saw the movie. It was, it was one of those things where, I was just. I was finally getting like feeling like less anxious about things and, and it was hanging out with some, you know, good friends and got to see the movie. And it, you know, I, it was a really great experience going in and watching this movie. And again, I, I bring up the five films you bring with you because it's seeing Spider-Man on screen isn't special. So you have to really bring your a game to make a good Spider-Man movie to make. And what I say by that is make it, entertaining and that multiple people like everyone likes it and you yourself like it too as a hardcore spider-man fan you've you've seen good you've seen bad you've seen mediocre you've seen awful you've seen it all now with five films and with homecoming you just didn't know what to expect you knew marvel had a good track record but remember dr strange and gardens of the galaxy volume two for me were not great and for again for me not saying they weren't great for you not you personally, Sean, and the audience. Right. But for me, it was not great. I was they were bad, and they were zero for two in the last two uh, two films. And I was a little, I won't lie, I, I was a little bit nervous. But I I'm happy to inform everyone that Spider Man Homecoming blew me away. I loved it. I loved it, and I was it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It, it had you know talk about the Liz and Adrian Toomes Vulture uh, reveal. I ended up just being totally surprised by that and loving, loving that. And it was nice to get, and again, because I avoid spoilers, it was nice to get some surprises for a Spider-Man movie that I normally would know everything about. Hmm. So the movie just, and a lot of people complain, complained about the aspects that Spider-Man wasn't his own man for a lot, from a lot of hardcore Spider-Man fans. He wasn't his own man. He needed Tony Stark to do this and that and whatever. But to me, it, it all worked because I've seen Spider-Man be his own man. And he is his own man in this movie mm-hmm. from a certain extent. But it's not like 100%. He's also a kid, too. He finishes that. the movie in his own original costume. That's exactly. Key. Yeah, exactly. So to me, it was just it was a different take on something that was, you know, again, this is not the, the Spider-Man that I grew up with. And that's kind of the point. And I, I loved it. I loved everything about this movie. It's one of those things where I just, 
it, it just it, it reinforced how much I love the character. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just I, I just I had so much fun. Spider-Man Homecoming was the first movie I had seen in the theater more than once in a long time besides Star Wars movies is a for in a long, long time. Mm. And I remember it was it just I just grinning ear to ear the whole time watching watching the movie. And it was it was a great experience for me. I, I, I really I really do love this movie to death. Yeah, seeing the seeing Spider-Man Homecoming for the first time was actually new and having even being a little starstruck by and, and looking out for mentorship within other superheroes, that's part of Spider-Man. And that's something that the Sony franchise, when it was all by itself, could never do. And so we had already had five Spider-Man films that were just Spider-Man. So now that this is a movie that places Spider-Man in the MCU, I want to see him interacting with another superhero. And he should be interacting with the most famous superhero in the MCU up until this point, which was Iron Man. And so that always made a lot of sense to me. And I liked their interactions in the trailer. I liked Tony being a mentor slash father figure for Peter Parker. And I think that ultimately paid off uh, very, very well in the film. And so, yeah, that first teaser I really enjoyed, and then I enjoyed the next trailer for it. Everything about Spider-Man Homecoming just continued to look really, really good. And I was, and I also really liked the idea behind it as we started hearing and learning more about the film with Vulture looking so cool, but also that the movie was going to be, that Vulture was going to be using, uh, you know, alien tech from previous Marvel movies. And that was part of, going to be part of what he was up to and his whole scheming in spider-man homecoming the only bad moment for me in the spider-man homecoming build-up was i was incorrectly spoiled but spoiled enough nonetheless about the adrian tombs is liz's dad uh twist in spider-man homecoming because it's just a you could call it a job hazard but when you report on Marvel stuff every day on a website and you do podcasts and all this other stuff and superhero shows about Marvel, it's kind of hard to just go on media blackout and ignore things. And so every once in a while, I unfortunately stumble upon something I didn't want to see. And somebody had misinterpreted and put out the idea that I guess they had read the junior novelization or something like that. And they had said that Adrian Toomes was Michelle Zendaya's character was Michelle's dad. And so when I went, when I went to watch homecoming, I thought it was going to be that, that it was going to be Michelle's dad. And then, so, but just because I had the idea that he was somebody's dad, the more the movie went on, I was like, I think he's going to be Liz's dad. Cause that actually seems like it makes more sense based on how this movie is going. And then of course, so when you, and having even being a little starstruck by and, and looking out for mentorship within other superheroes, that's part of Spider-Man. And that's something that the Sony franchise, when it was all by itself, could never do. And so we had already had five Spider-Man films that were just Spider-Man. So now that this is a movie that places Spider-Man in the MCU, I want to see him interacting with another superhero. And he should be interacting with the most famous superhero in the MCU up until this point, which was Iron Man. And so that always made a lot of sense to me. And I liked their interactions in the trailer. I liked Tony being a mentor slash father figure for Peter Parker. And I think that ultimately paid off uh, very, very well in the film. 
And so, yeah, that first teaser I really enjoyed, and then I enjoyed the next trailer for it. Everything about Spider-Man Homecoming just continued to look really, really good. And I was, and I also really liked the idea behind it as we started hearing and learning more about the film with Vulture looking so cool, but also that the movie was going to be, that Vulture was going to be using, uh, you know, alien tech from previous Marvel movies. And that was part of, going to be part of what he was up to and his whole scheming in Spider-Man Homecoming. The only bad moment for me in the Spider-Man Homecoming buildup was I was incorrectly spoiled, but spoiled enough nonetheless about the Adrian Toomes is Liz's dad uh, twist in Spider-Man Homecoming because it's just a, you could call it a job hazard, but when you report on Marvel stuff every day on a website and you do podcasts and all this other stuff in, in superhero shows about Marvel, it's kind of hard to just go on media blackout and ignore things. And so every once in a while, I unfortunately stumble upon something I didn't want to see. And somebody had misinterpreted and put out the idea that I guess they had read the junior novelization or something like that. And they had said that Adrian Toomes was Michelle Zendaya's character was Michelle's dad. And so when I went, when I went to watch homecoming, I thought it was going to be that, that it was going to be Michelle's dad. And then, so, but just because I had the idea that he was somebody's dad, the more the movie went on, I was like, I think he's going to be Liz's dad. Cause that actually seems like it makes more sense based on how this movie is going. And then of course, so when, when Peter was shows up for the dance and he knocks on the door, I totally knew Michael Keaton was going to answer that door. Uh, so it, it was still, even though I kind of had saw it coming it didn't matter, though, because that scene is played so beautifully, both the scene in the house and then in the car, that it didn't matter. But, yeah, that was the only bummer for me in the buildup to Spider-Man Homecoming was just having uh, having a really cool twist spoiled. But it didn't. It ultimately didn't spoil it that much because, as I said, the scene was so, so fantastic. I was um, lucky to avoid all of that. Good for you, man. Yeah, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy that that wasn't uh, ruined for you. But let's get into first viewings. We're way behind. We're 50 minutes into this show, and we haven't talked about <laughs> seeing it yet. So obviously, we're going into overtime tonight. Don't worry, we're not gonna like not talk about the movie and just leave you with buildup. Uh, but let's talk. Let, let's talk about that. Where did you first see the film? I saw the film with uh, friends of ours, uh, John Birley and Justin Bulger. Uh, we we were visiting. We we're all hanging out in San Francisco, and I, I got to see it on, on Lucasfilm. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so it was it was surreal because um, just seeing a movie like in a place it just was weird in a good way. It was <laughs> it was really cool. And I remember that. I was I was jazzed for it. I remember being really tired because we were doing a bunch of stuff, and I was just like, ugh, super out of it. And I just I just could not wait. It was one of those things where I, I the movie I had the, this this last summer I had a lot going on emotionally, uh, a lot of stuff going on with my family, and, it, and it's better now. But it was kind of rough there for a while. And to be honest, it was hard for me to get excited for this movie leading up to leading up to it up until probably the last. A couple weeks before, I started getting really excited, and so I saw the movie. It was it was one of those things where I was just I was finally getting like feeling like less anxious about things, and and it was hanging out with some you know good friends, and 
got to see the movie and it, you know, I, it was a really great experience going in and watching this movie. And again, I, I bring up the five films you bring with you because it's seeing Spider-Man on screen isn't special. So you have to really bring your a game to make a good Spider-Man movie to make. And what I say by that is make it entertaining and that multiple people like everyone likes it. And, you yourself like it too, as a hardcore Spider-Man fan. You've you've seen good, you've seen bad, you've seen mediocre, you've seen awful, you've seen it all. Now with five films, and with Homecoming, you just didn't know what to expect. You knew Marvel had a good track record, but remember, Doctor Strange and Gardens of the Galaxy Volume Two for me were not great. And for again, for me, not saying they weren't great for you, not you personally, Sean, and the audience, right. But for me, it was not great. I was they were bad and they were over two in the last two uh, two films. And I was a little, I won't lie, I, I was a little bit nervous. But I I'm happy to inform everyone that Spider-Man Homecoming blew me away. I loved it. I loved it. And I was it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It, it had to, you know talk about the Liz and Adrian Toomes Vulture uh, reveal. I ended up just being totally surprised by that and loving, loving that. And it was nice to get, and again, because I avoid spoilers, it was nice to get some surprises for a Spider-Man movie that I normally would know everything about. Hmm. So the movie just, and a lot of people complain, complained about the aspects that Spider-Man wasn't his own man for a lot, from a lot of hardcore Spider-Man fans. He wasn't his own man. He needed Tony Stark to do this and that and whatever. But to me, it, it all worked because I've seen Spider-Man be his own man. And he is his own man in this movie mm-hmm. from a certain extent. But it's not like 100%. He's also a kid, too. He finishes that. the movie in his own original costume. That's exactly. Key. Yeah, exactly. So to me, it was just it was a different take on something that was, you know, again, this is not the, the Spider-Man that I grew up with. And that's kind of the point. And I, I loved it. I loved everything about this movie. It's one of those things where I just, it, it just, it reinforced how much I loved the character. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just, I, I just, I had so much fun. Spider-Man Homecoming was the first movie I had seen in the theater more than once in a long time besides Star Wars movies. It was a, for, in a long, long time. Mm. And I remember it was, it just, I just grinning ear to ear the whole time watching, watching the movie. And it was, it was a great experience for me. I, I I really I really do love this movie to death. Yeah, seeing the seeing Spider-Man: Homecoming for the first time was actually the most just straight up bougie experience I've had watching a Marvel film, especially for a first viewing, because this was different. I was not part of the this was not the normal uh, press junket routine for me with spider-man homecoming because it was not being done by disney it was being done by sony because sony was distributing the film so all the stuff i would normally go through with disney it was it was more of like oh i got to try and do this with sony and i couldn't do it with sony they invited me but they did the junket in new york and they said you know they weren't offering to send me there but like hey if you could get there you know, we can you can watch the movie there and you can attend the, the press conference. But I was actually working. On, I wasn't able to get there on time because I was actually working uh, on a different on a TV show at the time. And so I it just the scheduling didn't work out. So then I was able to go to the premiere, which was at TCL Chinese Theater. I went with my friend, uh, my friend and superhero news co-host Mark Hughes and 
we were, uh, and what was cool about that is it was actually T2 and having, even being a little starstruck by and, and looking out for mentorship within other superheroes. That's part of Spider-Man. And that's something that the Sony franchise, when it was all by itself, could never do. And so we had already had five Spider-Man films that were just Spider-Man. So now that this is a movie that places Spider-Man in the MCU, I want to see him interacting with another superhero. And he should be interacting with the most famous superhero in the MCU up until this point, which was Iron Man. And so that always made a lot of sense to me. And I liked their interactions in the trailer. I liked Tony being a mentor slash father figure for Peter Parker. And I think that ultimately paid off uh, very, very well in the film. And so, yeah, that first teaser I really enjoyed. And then I enjoyed the next trailer for it. Everything about Spider-Man Homecoming just continued to look really, really good. And I was, and I also really liked the idea behind it as we started hearing and learning more about the film with Vulture looking so cool, but also that the movie was going to be, that Vulture was going to be using, uh, you know, alien tech from previous Marvel movies. And that was part of, going to be part of what he was up to and his whole scheming in Spider-Man Homecoming. The only bad moment for me in the Spider-Man Homecoming buildup was... I was incorrectly spoiled, but spoiled enough nonetheless about the Adrian Toomes is Liz's dad uh, twist in Spider-Man Homecoming because it's just a, you could call it a job hazard, but when you report on Marvel stuff every day on a website and you do podcasts and all this other stuff in, in superhero shows about Marvel it's kind of hard to just go on media blackout and ignore things. And so every once in a while, I unfortunately stumble upon something I didn't want to see. And somebody had misinterpreted and put out the idea that I guess they had read the junior novelization or something like that. And they had said that Adrian Toomes was Michelle Zendaya's character was Michelle's dad. And so when I went, when I went to watch homecoming, I thought it was going to be that that it was going to be Michelle's dad. And then so but just because I had the idea that he was somebody's dad, the more the movie went on, I was like I think he's going to be Liz's dad cuz that actually seems like it makes more sense based on how this movie is going. And then of course, so when when Peter was shows up for the dance and he knocks on the door, I totally knew Michael Keaton was going to answer that door. Uh so it, it was still even though I kind of had saw it coming, it didn't matter, though, because that scene is played so beautifully, both the scene in the house and then in the car, that it didn't matter. But, yeah, that was the only bummer for me in the buildup to Spider-Man Homecoming was just having uh, having a really cool twist spoiled. But it didn't. It ultimately didn't spoil it that much because, as I said, the scene was so, so fantastic. I was um, lucky to avoid all of that. Good for you, man. Yeah, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy that that wasn't uh, ruined for you. But let's get into first viewings. We're way behind. We're 50 minutes into this show, and we haven't talked about seeing it yet. So obviously, we're going into overtime tonight. Don't worry, we're not gonna like not talk about the movie and just leave you with buildup. Uh, but let's talk. Let, let's talk about that. Where did you first see the film? I saw the film with uh, friends of ours, uh, John Birley and Justin Bulger. Uh, we we were visiting, we we're all hanging out in San Francisco and I, I got to see it on, on Lucasfilm. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so it was, it was surreal because, um, just seeing a movie like in a place, it just was weird in a good way. It was, <laughs> it was really cool. And I remember that 
I was I was jazzed for it. I remember being really tired because we were doing a bunch of stuff, and I was just like, ugh, super out of it. And I just I just could not wait. It was one of those things where I, I the movie I had the, this this last summer I had a lot going on emotionally, uh, a lot of stuff going on with my family, and, it, and it's better now. But it was kind of rough there for a while. And to be honest, it was hard for me to get excited for this movie leading up to leading up to it up until probably the last. A couple weeks before, I started getting really excited, and so I saw the movie. It was it was one of those things where I was just I was finally getting like feeling like less anxious about things, and and it was hanging out with some you know good friends, and got to see the movie, and it, you know I, it was a really great experience going in and watching this movie. And again, I, I bring up the five films you bring with you because it's seeing Spider-Man on screen isn't special. So you have to really bring your a game to make a good Spider-Man movie to make. And what I say by that is make it entertaining and that multiple people like everyone likes it. And you yourself like it too, as a hardcore Spider-Man fan, you've, you've seen good. You've seen bad. You've seen mediocre. You've seen awful. You've seen it all now with five films and with Homecoming, you just didn't know what to expect. You knew Marvel had a good track record. But remember, Doctor Strange and Gardens of the Galaxy Volume 2, for me, were not great. And, for again, for me, not saying they weren't great for you, not you personally, Sean, and the audience. Right. But for me, it was not great. I was They were batting. They were 0 for 2 in the last two uh, two films. And I, was a little, I won't lie, I, I was a little bit nervous. But... I, I'm happy to inform everyone that Spider-Man Homecoming blew me away. I loved it. I loved it, and I was it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It, it had to, you know talk about the Liz and Adrian Toomes Vulture uh, reveal. I ended up just being totally surprised by that and loving loving that. And it was nice to get and again because I avoid spoilers. It was nice to get some surprises for a Spider-Man movie that I normally would know everything about. Hmm. So the movie just, and a lot of people complain, complained about the aspects that Spider-Man wasn't his own man for a lot from a lot of hardcore Spider-Man fans. He wasn't his own man. He needed Tony Stark to do this and that and whatever. But to me, it, it all worked because because I've seen Spider-Man be his own man and he is his own man in this movie mm-hmm. from a certain extent, but it's not like 100%. He's also a kid too. You he finishes that. the movie in his own original costume. That's exactly. Key. Yeah, exactly. So to me, it was just, it was a different take on something that was, you know, again, this is not the, the Spider-Man that I grew up with. And that's kind of the point. And I, I loved it. I loved everything about this movie. It's one of those things where I just it, it just it, it reinforced how much I love the character, mm-hmm. and, and it just I I just I had so much fun. Spider Man Homecoming was the first movie I had seen in the theater more than once in a long time, besides Star Wars movies. Is a for in a long long time, mm. and I remember it was it just I just grinning ear to ear the whole time watching watching the movie, and it was. It was a great experience for me. I, I I really I really do love this movie to death. Yeah, seeing the seeing Spider-Man Homecoming for the first time was actually the most just straight up bougie experience I've had watching a Marvel film, especially for a first viewing. Because this was different. I was not part of the this was not the normal uh press junket routine for me 
with Spider-Man Homecoming because it was not being done by Disney. It was being done by Sony because Sony was distributing the film. So all the stuff I would normally go through with Disney, it was it was more of like, oh, I got to try and do this with Sony. And I couldn't do it with Sony. They invited me, but they did the junket in New York. And they said, you know, they weren't offering to send me there, but like, hey, if you could get there, you know, we can, you can watch the movie there and you can attend the the press conference. But I was actually working, uh, I wasn't able to get there on time because I was actually working uh, on a different, on a TV show at the time. And so I, it just, the scheduling didn't work out. So then I was able to go to the premiere, which was at TCL Chinese Theater. I went with my friend, uh, my friend and superhero news co-host, Mark Hughes, and we were, uh, and what was cool about that is it was actually T2 and having, even being a little starstruck by and, and looking out for mentorship within other superheroes, that's part of Spider-Man. And that's something that the Sony franchise, when it was all by itself, could never do. And so we had already had five Spider-Man films that were just Spider-Man. So now that this is a movie that places Spider-Man in the MCU, I want to see him interacting with another superhero and he should be interacting with the most famous superhero in the MCU up until this point, which was Iron Man. And so that always made a lot of sense to me. And I liked their interactions in the trailer. I liked Tony being a mentor slash father figure for Peter Parker. And I think that ultimately paid off uh, very, very well in the film. And so, yeah, that first teaser I really enjoyed. And then I enjoyed the next trailer for it. Everything about Spider-Man Homecoming just continued to look really really good and i was and i also really liked the idea behind it as we started hearing and learning more about the film with vulture looking so cool but also that the movie was going to be that vulture was going to be using uh you know alien tech from previous marvel movies and that was part of going to be part of what he was up to and his whole scheming in spider-man homecoming the only bad moment for me in the spider-man homecoming build-up was I was incorrectly spoiled, but spoiled enough nonetheless about the Adrian Toomes' Liz's dad uh, twist in Spider-Man Homecoming. Because it's just a, you could call it a job hazard, but when you report on Marvel stuff every day on a website and you do podcasts and all this other stuff in, in superhero shows about Marvel it's kind of hard to just go on media blackout and ignore things. And so every once in a while, I unfortunately stumble upon something I didn't want to see. And somebody had misinterpreted and put out the idea that I guess they had read the junior novelization or something like that. And they had said that Adrian Toomes was Michelle Zendaya's character was Michelle's dad. And so when I went, when I went to watch homecoming, I thought it was going to be that that it was going to be Michelle's dad. And then so but just because I had the idea that he was somebody's dad, the more the movie went on, I was like I think he's going to be Liz's dad cuz that actually seems like it makes more sense based on how this movie is going. And then of course, so when when Peter was shows up for the dance and he knocks on the door, I totally knew Michael Keaton was going to answer that door. Uh so it, it was still even though I kind of had saw it coming, it didn't matter though, because that scene is played so beautifully, both the scene in the house and then in the car, that it didn't matter. But yeah, that was the only bummer for me in the buildup to Spider-Man: Homecoming was just having uh, having a really cool twist spoiled. But it didn't 
it ultimately didn't spoil it that much because, as I said, the scene was so so fantastic. I was um, lucky to avoid all of that. Good for you, man. Yeah, good for you. I'm 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 definitely happy that that wasn't uh, ruined for you. But let's get into first viewings. We're way behind. We're 50 minutes into this show and we haven't talked about <laughs> seeing it yet. So obviously we're going into overtime tonight. Don't worry, we're not gonna like not talk about the movie and just leave you with build up. Uh, but let's talk let, let's talk about that. Where did you first see the film? I saw the film with uh, friends of ours, uh, John Birley and Justin Bulger. Uh, we we were visiting. We we're all hanging out in San Francisco, and I, I got to see it on, on Lucasfilm. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so it was it was surreal because um, just seeing a movie like in a place it just was weird in a good way. It was <laughs> it was really cool. And I remember that. I was I was jazzed for it. I remember being really tired because we were doing a bunch of stuff, and I was just like, ugh, super out of it. And I just I just could not wait. It was one of those things where I, I the movie I had the, this this last summer I had a lot going on emotionally, uh, a lot of stuff going on with my family, and, it, and it's better now. But it was kind of rough there for a while. And to be honest, it was hard for me to get excited for this movie leading up to leading up to it up until probably the last. A couple weeks before, I started getting really excited, and so I saw the movie. It was it was one of those things where I was just I was finally getting like feeling like less anxious about things, and and it was hanging out with some you know good friends, and we got to see the movie, and it, you know I, it was a really great experience going in and watching this movie. And again, I, I bring up the five films you bring with you because it's seeing Spider-Man on screen isn't special, so you have to really bring your A game to make a good Spider-Man movie to make. And what I say by that is make it entertaining and 